Good evening, everybody. Thanks for coming out. When you sign up for one of these things, you never know how it's going to turn out. Even now, it's a mystery because I can only see shadows as I look out. As my blurb in the bulletin indicated, I've been around for a while, I guess 45 years. In 1980, I lived in Point Lookout for a year. I lived at uh, 143A Bayside Drive, right across from Ed and Marilyn Waddell. I loved living in Point Lookout. I loved having the post office, Marolas, Alfredo's with their sesame seed crust. There was an ice cream parlor. I took piano lessons from Mrs. Milady on Belmore Street, and she was am amazing. I played basketball at the rec on Monday nights with Jack Keating and Frankie Ryan, Frankie Belkaitis and Ricky McMahon, the Crow brothers, Gene Kennedy. We'd go for a drink or two at Alice's on the Bay. Oftentimes I've had dinner with the Hedericks at 126 Baldwin. Working in the school, sometimes I had kids that needed a physical and they didn't have insurance and Dr. Cahill always helped me out. It was just a wonderful place to live, and it's still a great place to be. One of the perks of speaking is you get to pick the reading. And uh, I picked this reading because I consider it timeless. It's a great piece of literature, and it's a great piece of literature because it is timeless. Every time I hear it, I hear something different. I get something new out of it. And like many of you, you've probably heard it over and over and over again. But it tells us something about the human condition. And for that, it should be considered a classic as well. As many times as I've heard it, I got a different twist a couple of months ago. Father Lee gave a homily. St. Mary's at a daily mass. This was the reading, this was the gospel. And his salient point was, the son didn't have to do anything to get the father's forgiveness. All he had to do was show up. Nothing more, nothing less. All he had to show up, all he had to do was show up, and forgiveness was his. So gentlemen, and I know there are a few ladies here because they were worried there wouldn't be enough men and they wanted to make me feel good. Why don't we show up? Why don't we show up for the sacrament of penance? Why don't we show up for confession on Saturdays before mass or Tuesdays when it's offered? Why? Why don't we show up? I'd like you to think about that as I move into this little chat of mine, and hopefully we'll come to it, back to it at the end. I chose this reading for another reason also, because I have my own prodigal son story. My blurb didn't indicate that I come from Boston, and I'm proud of it. An avid Red Sox fan, I tell the Mets fans, we were the Mets before the Mets. Celtics, Bruins, Patriots, parents, 
Jeremiah and Mary, dad from West Cork, small town called Noosestown, just outside of Bandon. My mother's people from a small town called Ballymacord, outside Ballinasloe in County Galway. They had five kids between 1946 and 1952. My story goes like this. My oldest brother was getting married. Wedding was held in the Cape, nice reception. After the wedding for 21 years, he had nothing to do with anybody in the entire family. No calls, no cards, no telegrams, nothing. Christmases, Thanksgivings, Mother's Days, Father's Days, funerals, baptisms, births, deaths, no show. Needless to say, it upset my parents. It became a source of embarrassment at a family function if somebody said, hey, have you seen Jack? Where's Jack? I haven't seen Jack. When's the last time you saw Jack? We had no answer. Fast forward 21 years, I get a phone call one morning from my brother. I'm heading out to work. He says, this is Jack. I said, hello. He said, I want to let you know I'm coming to Boston tomorrow. I want to see the folks. I'm going to be showing up about 5 o'clock. So I say to him, you know, they're not so young anymore. 21 years have passed. Dad has a little dementia. Mom's trying her best to keep him out of a nursing home, so she's kind of run down. We've buried so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so, and, -so and where the heck have you been? He told me, quite frankly, he owed me no explanation. So I'm sort of like the older brother in the gospel story. I'm still kind of upset and I'm not so sure I've forgiven him, although that's the theme of my talk tonight. But anyway, I say, all right, what do you want me to do? He says, well, let him know, and I guess somebody should be up there. So I say, all right, I'll drive up. I'll get up there. I'll tell him. So I tell my parents, and they're in absolute shock. They can't believe it. They wanted details. I had no details. I said, all I got was a phone call. The night comes, the bell rings, open the door, he comes down the hall, he's bearing the flowers, he's bearing the chocolates. My mother steps out in the hall, tears, shock, hugs. My dad's holding on to my mother. And many of you might know this, once you see your parents cry, it's very hard to not cry yourself because they're your parents and they were always the rock and it's always somewhat tough. So I'm there, and I'm kind of just choking up. Well, just like the story, no explanation. He comes in, the roast is in, all the things he liked as a child that she could best remember, the roast, the chocolate cake, the apple pie, the Irish bread, the cakes. It was quite a feast. All he had to do was show up, too. All he had to do was show up. I often wonder what kept him away. I think myself, although he never gave me any explanation, I think he was always embarrassed that his parents spoke with two brogues. On top of a Boston accent, mix the brogue in, and you don't have, you can't understand what the heck they're saying. 
I think he was a little bit taken aback that one brother after another supplanted him in one thing or another. One was better in basketball, one had a better curveball in baseball, one was taller, one was a better student, and he couldn't quite deal with that. So he just took off. But I have to say for my parents' sake that I'm glad he came back. I'm glad he showed up. I'm glad the prodigal son returned. And it came to me, maybe that's why we call it the living word, because so much of the gospel does come true. So much of it does, does happen in our lives, whether we see it or not. When I think of penance, and that's one of the themes of this talk tonight, it's penance and forgiveness and mental health. When I think of penance, I think myself of what do I owe God? It's a very simple question. And I think it's something each of us should ask ourselves in terms of the sacrament of penance. I'm assuming that many of us don't go as often as we should, and we don't receive the graces that we should from the sacrament. But nevertheless, we should be asking ourselves that question. What do I owe God? We're very fortunate in this tri-parish community to have a pastor like Father Brian and curates like Father Lee and Father Steve. And Father Brian gave a homily a couple of years ago. The topic of his homily was, what is your desert? I believe it was an Advent weekend. I believe John the Baptist was in the story. And I guess the theme was, you know, we have to go into the desert, men and women. We have to look at ourselves. We have to take moral inventory. In no better place to do this than in the desert, whatever that desert might be. For me and for many of us, this probably is the sacrament of penance. No better place to be on your own, to lay yourself bare, and to take stock of where you are relative to your God. For some people it might be a run, for some people it might be a walk along the beach, for some people it might be a round of golf, for some people it might be just prayer by yourself in church, quiet reflection. But we have to ask ourselves, what is our desert? And we have to retreat there. We need to go there. We don't need the Surgeon General to tell us that we're in a bad way. We don't need the Surgeon General to tell us that three or four hours on a cell phone a day is not healthy. We don't need the Surgeon General to tell us that when we take our phones to bed, we're really kind of hurting. We don't need the Surgeon General to tell us that our kids shouldn't be watching three or four hours of TV a day, not even talking about what the content of what they're watching. So I ask you, what is your desert? When I was down here in 1980, Ricky McMahon and I were training to run in the Montreal Marathon. And we ran, and we actually finished together. And there's nothing quite like running a marathon, 26.2 miles. In my career or in my time, I've run 13, and i finished 13. And it's always a great feeling, crossing the finish line, seeing the time, getting the insulated cape put over you, 
being given a bottle of water and a bagel and knowing that you don't have to run tomorrow that all you're going to do is just take a long, long, long hot bath and that it's over. And as exhilarating and as great as the feeling is crossing the finish line, there's nothing as great for me as walking out of a confession, having made a good confession, having gone into my desert, having confessed my sins, I just feel like a weight has been taken off my shoulders. I feel like I can do most anything. I feel just so clean and so vibrant. It's just something I just don't think we do enough. And we deprive ourselves of that exhilaration, that high that comes with confessing our sins and seeking reconciliation with God. I have to tell you, since I have to talk about mental health, and I haven't seen much written about this, quite frankly. Having the other half of my blurb is, was, uh, I uh, grew up in Boston and got a PhD in clinical psych down at the University of Texas at Austin. And I've worked as a psychologist in schools and have done some private work with uh, State Department and with uh, police departments for individuals who are, need to be evaluated for work on the force. I've done work with the courts for people who are dealing with anger management and court-ordered uh, therapy that they must get. But I tend to think, ladies and gentlemen, that if we made greater use of the sacrament of penance, we wouldn't have half the mental troubles that we have, half of the mental health issues that we have. Whether it's depression or anxiety or anger management or substance abuse. If in fact we took advantage of the confessional, of God's mercy, of God's forgiveness, we'd be a heck of a lot better off as a society. If we modeled going to confession for our children and grandchildren as we should, they too wouldn't be needing therapists. They would be mentally sound and physically sound. It is right there for our grasping the sacrament of penance and God's forgiveness. And just like the prodigal son, all we need to do, all we need to do is show up, guys. And I just can't figure out why so many of us fail to do that. In my work in the schools, many of you probably aren't familiar with the process, but if a kid is referred for any kind of reason, let's say achievement or some kind of self-destructive behavior, substance abuse, anger management, whatever it might be, if a kid is referred, I get the referral as a psychologist. I call the parent, ask the parent if I can see the kid, and make an appointment or two with the student. Schools are not supposed to do therapy. Most don't, unless they're private schools. But basically, it's to serve as a referral base to identify problems and basically to hook the kids up with mental health services on the outside. So I've dealt with thousands and thousands of kids with you know separation issues, trauma, you know, anything in terms of socio-emotional, PTSD, whatever it might be. 
And after meeting with the student and then calling a parent conference, I've always found that as difficult as the student was, and as troubled as he or she might be, if in the course of this meeting I asked one question, and if I got the answer that I was hoping, I knew that the conflict of the struggle for this kid would resolve. I knew that things would be okay. And that question I would ask in this conference with parents, the kid, after having met the kid a couple of times, uh, might be the referral teacher, might be a coach, might be an administrator, might be a step-parent, whoever it might be. I'd ask the question, do you owe that person over there anything? And I'd point to the mother, might be a single parent. I might point to the parents who might be divorced, but are together for the meeting. I might point to a friend or to a teacher. And if, in fact, I saw a reaction in that kid, a tear, a wince, a shrug, some resignation, something that indicated to me that he heard what I said, then I knew, I knew for all intents and purposes, we were home, that that kid was gonna make it. So I might or might not set him up with a therapist on the outside, I'd speak with the parents, and generally, cases would resolve. But in the event that the kid did go to therapy, you know, where penance centers on our relationship with God and what we owe God, I oftentimes think that therapy is basically, you know, what we owe ourselves and what we owe others with whom we're in relationship. And both of them center on forgiveness. You know, penance is seeking of forgiveness. And in therapy, oftentimes it's the kid forgiving himself, in some cases forgiving his parent for poor parenting or a mistake they might have made. Whatever it might be, the central thread here, the central knot is forgiveness and the importance of forgiveness in relationship. Tonight, or today, November 9th, 1951, my late brother Richard Ryan was born and he passed away be three years ago in May. He died in a one bedroom apartment in Belmont, Massachusetts. He had been sober for 20 years. He relapsed. He fell in his kitchen after having something to drink, hit his head on the floor, and was found dead two days after. He was buried in May, May 28, 2021. I went to countless, countless AA meetings with my brother. And if you really want to see therapy, if you really want to see intervention at its best, go to an AA meeting. And why is AA so successful? And you don't have to take it from me. It's been around so long, and you can read about it in most any journal or most any periodical. It is the most effective intervention there is for addictive behavior. And why? Was the first premise of AA? Turn yourself over to a higher power. What's the second premise of AA? Seek forgiveness for all those, uh, from all those whom you've injured. You know, this guy, Wilson, didn't have a college degree, but when he started AA and built it on those two principles, 
he knew what he was doing. Built on forgiveness, seeking forgiveness of others, and seeking the, the intervention of a higher power, in, in many cases, God. There was a pretty good article in the paper a couple of months ago, state of Minnesota. Anybody who's seeking parole for any kind of felony can write a, seek a petition, petition is sent in. If it's going to be heard, or if in fact it, it passes the first step and the convicted felon is given an opportunity to seek an amendment of his parole, he's allowed to meet with three individuals, the governor, the attorney general, and the chief justice. He comes into this room, a clock is put on the table, it's set for 10 minutes, and the convicted felon is given 10 minutes to make his case for why he should get forgiveness. I was really fascinated by this because ever since I was a child, I've always wondered what the last judgment was gonna be like. And maybe God has a 10 minute timer upstairs and maybe he's gonna say to us, all right, go, here's your chance. What are we gonna say? What are you gonna say? What am I gonna say? In terms of what did we do to maintain relationship with God? What did we do to sustain a healthy relationship with him? Did we seek his forgiveness? You know, there's a great line in the novena to the miraculous medal that's said every Monday at St. Mary's. And in this prayer to the Our Lady of the Miraculous Medal, the petition is that we may recover from penance what we have lost by sin. That me, we may recover by penance, by forgiveness, what we have lost by sin. And what have we lost? What have we lost? You know, we've lost relationship with God. We've lost relationship with those we love. We've lost a good sense of self. And in sinning, whatever that sin may be, or might have been, or is, we've separated ourselves from our Creator. When Father Brian asked me how long I was gonna speak, I told him 50 minutes. So he almost passed out when I told him that. I'm drawing to a close. I'm, I really don't know for how long I've spoken, but I just wanna just mention another thing since I have a group of men here tonight, primarily men, with all due respect to the ladies. And that is the whole issue of the mental health crisis that we're presently dealing with. You know, having worked in schools, I'm just gonna throw some statistics at you in terms of where we are with schools, in terms of boys, in terms of mental health. For every boy, or excuse me, for every girl who's referred for some kind of evaluation, for some kind of concern about achievement or stress or anxiety or some kind of behavior, for every single girl that's referred, four times the number of boys are referred than girls. In terms of dropouts, boys five to one outnumber girls. In terms of college and hold on to your pocketbooks, boys are taking five and six years to finish 
Girls are finishing in four and four and a half. In terms of the criminal justice system, boys far outnumber the number of girls brought up on charges for felonies or convictions. In terms of self-destructive behaviors, in terms of suicide, the number of boys who attempt and unfortunately who complete the act of suicide far outnumber the girls who do such things. You know, I could go on and on and on, but men, we're not in a good place. Our boys are not in a good place. Our children are not in a good place, and we need to do something about it. I think for me and for us, you know, and God knows the schools have a stake in this, but I think we need to get to confession. I think we need to hold penance up. For some reason, penance, and I was thinking about this during this week, it's like the hidden sacrament. You know, we don't talk much about it. You know, it's like a throw along with First Communion. You know, you're gonna, First Communion is such a big day, but you know, you're gonna make first penance, so this is what it's gonna be like. I don't think that as a church and as a society, as a Christian Catholic society, we've given it the emphasis, the time, the respect that it needs because the fruits of penance, God's mercy, it's just endless. It's just endless. And like the prodigal son, all we gotta do is show up and God's mercy is ours. So before I close, I just wanna sing a song. And uh, Teresa, you don't have to accompany me and I know you could sing it a little bit better than myself. But the song was sung in 1966 at my graduation from the eighth grade at Sacred Heart School in Watertown, Massachusetts. And it's a song and a verse that's always stuck with me. And the song is He. And I'm, for your sake and for mine, I'm only gonna sing a couple of verses because I find that they're per pertinent. So I indulge your patience and your forgiveness in terms of this. He can turn the tide in calm and angry sea. He alone decides who writes a symphony. He lights every star that makes our darkness bright. He alone can see each dark and lonely night. He can touch a tree and turn the leaves to gold. He knows every lie that you and I have told. Though it makes him sad to see the way we live, he'll always say, I forgive. Thank you.